that I'm going to share today. Um, let me tell you what I want to do today. Um, I want to uh, attempt to answer this question. How do we posture or position ourselves to receive the blessing, favor, and anointing of God? Um, in fact, there's a handout. Uh, let's see, where are those handouts? Uh, I think they're right there, yeah. And it's sort of a fill-in handout, so I'm, we got the scriptures listed here, and we'll just invite you to fill out the six points. Uh, so, but let me, let me just talk a little bit about that. So I have a very simple message. I don't know that you're going to learn anything new today, but I'm just going to simply remind you of some of the scriptures that point to this idea of how we can posture ourselves to, to be in the the avenue of blessing from the Lord as it, as it rains down upon his children. Uh, so this is a lot of reminding stuff, but it's some action-oriented stuff, and I just want to make this point very clear that we all know that we're, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says we're saved by grace. It's not of ourselves. Um, it's a gift of God, not a result of works that no man should boast. So again, when we're talking about taking some actions, we're not earning anything from God. We don't earn our way to heaven. It's all about his grace. And it's all about a response of his incredible love and kindness towards us that we celebrated in the Lord's table this morning. So um, that's what we're, we're going to do today. So let's, uh, let's just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to open your word to us, speak to our hearts. And God, we ask uh, for a revelation in the knowledge of your will. We're living in this incredible hour that you've ordained for us to live in. It is so important that we hear from you. And so, Lord, we ask today that you would bring revelation from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I shared a couple weeks ago, I think during um, Holy Communion on this passage that I have just been living out of for the last two or three months. It's uh, four verses, Hebrews chapter 12. Again, let me set the context. It's right after the incredible hall of faith, and the author of Hebrews lists all these incredible people of faith and defines faith, talks about, you know, the way to please God. You've got to be people of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he, you know, he, he, we need to know that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we have all these incredible lists of, of people that are, are people of faith. And then we flip the page to chapter 12, and this is what it says, referencing that incredible chapter 11. It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let, let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, and then this incredible statement, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. For you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Very interesting passage. There's probably six sermons in that passage. 
We're not going to preach out of that today, but I want to make just a couple of points. But, and also, I'm reading out of the New American Standard. I think up here we're going to have the NIV, so there'll be just a little difference. Excuse me, but I just love the NAS. And that's uh, what I uh, use. And um, it's close. And both are very, very good translations. But notice in this passage, he references running a race, a race that is set before us. And he gives us some very split instructions on how to win that race, and it's to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, we all can easily give mental assent to that. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's what we got to do. We got to live life with Jesus in focus. But that's not necessarily as easy as it may appear. I mean, we got all kinds of distractions, all kinds of noises in the system, all kinds of people marketing you for this and for that and everything else. But that is the key. In fact, that's the key to life. And in fact, the race that he's referencing is the race of living and ending as a Christian, as a son or daughter of the king. The race we run is the race of life. And how to be successful in that and win that is in fact to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Now he's talking about some other things in this passage about sin and how sin entangles and so we need to deal with sin and we'll talk a little bit about that today in this message. But I had a, an occasion um, about five years ago at the request of a client at the bank and his son who I also knew and had a relationship with uh, was living in sin. He was living with a gal and it really tore up this client. And because I knew him, and he happened to be looking for a job, and he was appealing to me, can, can you help? Is there anyone you know that, you know? I said, well, let me, let me just meet with him, and I'll talk to him. Well, I, so I prayed over this, and I'm going to call this client John. And I, and I had breakfast with John, and I appealed to John with this idea here that in all of life, what we want to do is, as Christian people is posture ourselves or position ourselves to receive the blessing, the favor, and the anointing of God. I mean, why wouldn't you want to do that? <laughs> and so, and he understood where I was going without saying it. You know, um, he, you know, he just, you know, we had a nice visit, and it was something, I think I just planted some seeds. That's really, I, I never really heard what happened in the end of that. But, um, and so the Lord brought this back to mind, uh, this, this idea and this concept. And as you know, as you know, we're starting a new series right now, and actually this sermon was, uh, was in, in motion before we started the new series, but our new series is The Coming of the Son of Man. And isn't it interesting um, as we contemplate what the scriptures tell us about the end times? I mean, that I think if you're, if you're like me, I think you would have to agree that we're on the precipice if we haven't already entered this very dramatic time from which there is 150 chapters in Scripture to give us some detail and some reference as, we, as we're going to go through this, at least parts of it, as a family of believers. And God wants to help us understand what's happening and what's coming next so we can be prepared. And so Jesse and the, and the, the, the preaching team are going to be addressing um, that series and I think what I'm going to cover today, while it's not directly related to that, is a preparatory kind of a, uh, an idea, a concept to help us 
position ourselves so that we can be led as sons and daughters of the king and not miss what God is saying. So I think, it all, I think you understand the point I'm making. So what I want to do is I want to look at seven ideas, action-oriented ideas, and I'm going to, as we look at the scripture, and then I'll invite you to write them down. We'll talk about it, and I'll make sure you got it right. No, it's, it's pretty clear. As I said, I don't know that I'm going to be sharing anything new today. I think it's just by way of reminder that these are all important things. The first is uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And maybe I'll just, because this is a short one, I'll just read it off the screen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I mean, that's clearly what God wants us to do. Make him first and keep him first in our lives. Again, easier said maybe than done. In Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, can we pull that one up, Marvin? Uh, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commandments within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This is a classic if-then statement. Do you remember the if-then statements when you were young and in, in, in elementary school? And conditions, and if you meet the conditions, here's the result. Everybody want to agree to sign up for that? I mean, that's, that's what we want. We want to know the knowledge of God. We want to understand our Savior. We want to learn who he is. And as we become knowledgeable of who he is, then we get fascinated with this man called Jesus. And we start to plumb the depths of revelation of who he is. Do you understand? We'll never fully understand him. It says it's in Ephesians chapter 2, I think, I don't know, verse 7 or 8. It says, in, in the ages, plural, in the ages to come, he's going to reveal himself to us. And it's going to take ages for us to plumb those depths. So, but we want to make that, that start and be captured by this incredible grace and this man, Jesus Christ. And number one, and your chart there on your handout, is to be a lover of God and a pursuer of God. So number two is Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. And what that says, again, maybe it's just easier for me to, to just read what's up there, but I'm going to read you in, out of mind. This is what it says. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So being a person of the Word of God. Psalm 119.97, again, another incredible passage of Scripture. Um, I'll read it here. Psalm 119.97 says, How I love thy law, it is my meditation all the day. And then verse 105, this is a famous one, most of you know, the word, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So number two is what? It, it's reading the word, isn't it? Daily reading the word. So be a daily reader of the word of God. 
God's word is his love letter to you and I, or some people call it an operating manual. You know, in, uh, in the airplane we have an operator's handbook. You know, you keep it in your glove box. Um, you, it's the same thing with driving your car. You've got an operator's man book, and it tells you how to work all the gauges and instruments and all that stuff. Well, this is how to live life and be successful in that race that we're running. It's God's love letter to you, his instruction manual. You know, it's interesting. Um, you look back on your life, and I'm retired now, so um, I'm in, definitely in the latter half, you know. <laughs> and uh, my, my, my joints and bones are telling me, yep, I definitely am. Um, but, you know, you look back at your life and you th- look at some of the things that you, you did, habits maybe you created. And one of mine when I, you know, was um, having my encounter with the Lord as a, as a sophomore at Michigan State, you know, I, would, I was taking these, I was in this engineering curriculum that I actually got washed out on. I mean, I, I chose to leave it because I was struggling with calculus. But um, I was taking these heavy courses and I... You know, I had to study. I mean, I wasn't a natural student like some of you. I had to actually put in the work, you know. <laughs> and, um, and I remember I would, um, I would grab all my books from all my classes, and I had to hide away. And uh, so I would take this stack of books, about seven, eight books, and I would, I would go over to Epley Center. Shaw Hall was here. Epley Center was right here. And I would grab that stuff and go down into the library in the basement and find a little quiet place. But I always put my Bible right on top. And I, as my last procrastination to study, I'd read the Word. Now, that's not a reason to read the Word, <laughs> but that's what I was doing. But in so doing, I established a habit of feasting on the Word. And I was just in that stage of life where I was seeking God. I was just hungry and thirsting. I couldn't get enough. And it was life. It was, it was life to me to, to consume the Word of God. And I... I look back now, and so now I'm a regular daily reader of the Word, like most of you are, I suspect. Boy, no regrets on that one. I mean, no regrets at all. I mean, it is life-giving, and I think every one of you would agree to that statement. So in terms of posturing ourselves before the Lord to receive, we've got to be in the manual. I mean, we've got to be on the receiving end of the revelation that comes. I mean, we know that it's alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It speaks to every circumstance and situation. Um, it's, it's really important. And again, I'm preaching to the choir. So number two is to be a daily reader of the Word of God. Number three, Matthew 6. I want to read that one out of mine here. <clears throat> Matthew 6, verses 6 through 15. Again, you know this. But when you pray... Go into your inner room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is, who is in secret, and your Heavenly Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless, meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
And then listen to these last two verses for emphasis. For if you do not forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will not forgive you also. But if you do not forgive men, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. You know, we all know the Lord's Prayer, and I hope you're praying that regularly because of what it contains. But do you see the emphasis the Lord puts on this idea of forgiving others? It's everywhere in the Bible. It, you know, it's in um, Mark 11, it's in Hebrews. I mean, it's the idea of forgiveness is so preeminent in God. So I wanted to make that observation. But the other observation about the Lord's Prayer is, um, and this probably is my life message, um, the Lord's Prayer, because I, I pray this every day. And you've, a lot of you have heard me talk about this before, so I don't want to belabor the point. But you pray today for today's bread. Give me this day my daily bread, which means, guess what? Tomorrow, you got to pray for tomorrow's bread. It's really intended to be a daily prayer. But more than that, for me, what I look at it as, it's a daily reset for the day previous. Now, some days are perfect. You know, I don't have any problems. I don't sin that I'm aware of. I'm doing great. But there's other days where I mess up. If we pray the Lord's Prayer as a daily practice and confess those sins, why wouldn't you take advantage of the grace of God? Remember what we read in Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, sin entangles. If we don't deal with sin, guess what? It doesn't just sit there. It starts to put down roots and capture your heart. And so we need to deal with that. Well, what? do it every day and cover that thing. You know, Get it taken care of. So I believe the prayer is meant to be prayed daily. And I just think there's life in it. There's provision in it. There's five essentials. We're not going to talk about it today. But there's five essential elements in it, all of which are important. A critical one is covering your sin but forgiving others. You know, the lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The final piece, oh man, that's important. I mean, you want to cover yourself in this crazy world we're living in, in with the, the armor of God every day. All those things. So number three is obviously be praying the Lord's Prayer daily. Confess your sin, deal with your sin, and receive your daily reset. That's kind of the way I say it. But um, Number four. Hebrews 10.25 is a passage that we've looked at many times. And um, it's just one verse. But listen to this verse. This is really critical. It's, it's talking in, a, in the paragraph about drawing near to God, holding fast our confession, stimulating one another to good deeds. And then it says this, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, it's an interesting dynamic that um, with post-COVID, a lot of the churches have not recovered. I mean, people just got used to either watching online, and maybe they're still doing it online, but um, the church attendance is down. There's something about being together in the body of Christ that is redemptive. Um, you know, man sharpens man as, you know, steel sharpens steel. I forget how that verse goes, but there's something about being together. And you cannot miss in the scripture that God's ecclesia, his church, is his government on the earth. This is the method he's using 
for us to administrate his kingdom in the earth. It's messy. It's full of problems and issues because guess what? You and I are messy. But it's God's, it's God's agenda and it's God's plan. He wants us together and there's blessing and benefit for us if we'll give ourselves to assembling together and being what I call in covenant relationships. I mean, that's a kind of a heavy word. People don't like some of the associated meanings of that, commitment and all these stuff. But we're, we're meant to be living life together, sharing the word of God, sharing our convictions, and being real with one another. One of the issues with the Western world, and particularly our church, meaning not, not us specifically, but the Western church is we're all independent, you know. We don't want to share one another's burdens. But see, God's design is different than that. And he is going to purify the church before it's done to where we're without spot and wrinkle. So um, important that we meet together. And so number four is obviously regular, regularly attending church and giving yourself to covenant relationships. Number five is just uh, two single verses. First Peter 1, 16 says, get there. You shall be holy, for I am holy. It's a quote from Leviticus 11. And Galatians 5.24 talks about those who have crucified the flesh and the idea of, of uh, living a holy life. And no one preaches this better, in my opinion, than Pastor Marvin. I mean, he's something else. I love his heart for holiness and for righteous living. And uh, it's so true. Um, and so number... Um, Number five is walking or living in holiness. And, um, and it's our response to God because we understand that his commandments and what his word teaches us and tells us how to live is for our good. It's not for our bad. It's not like he wants to be an ogre. It's, it's for our good to keep us from the entanglements of sin and, and some of the side effects of addictions and other things. And so we need to live a holy and righteous life. So... Um, number five, walking, living in holiness. Number six, Proverbs 8 has always been one of my favorite passages in terms of this idea that I'm going to share with you now. And, and um, <clears throat> listen to these words. Now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways, heed instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts, for he who finds me finds life and obtains the favor of the Lord. So we're talking about favor, and part of it is watching, waiting, listening. You could put meditating in there. It's, a, it's the idea of letting God speak into your circumstance and your situation. We're doing all the stuff that we've already discussed, but but pausing and, and letting him speak. Don't just race through life, but 
You know, we, it's, it's, a, it's a quieting of your soul. It's a, a, a stillness before God where we let him address us and speak to us as sons and daughters. It really speaks to the idea of relational intimacy that God really desires in each of us. And uh, that we need to give that a, a priority in our lives. We need to give the idea of this. It can take the form of journaling. Some people are journalists. I, I do some of that. But it, it really is a posture of the heart more than anything else that we're talking about. So um, number six is be seeking, waiting, listening, and meditating. And really what I call staying tender-hearted before God. You do understand, don't you, that God will offend you. And most of the offense in life comes because of timing issues. You know, we, we want something at this time, and, and then there's this huge delay, and we don't get it. A um, couple scripture references real quick that can, you can understand this idea of offense. Do you remember in Matthew 20, the parable, I'm not, we're not going to read it, but just, I just reference it. 1 through 16, Matthew 20, where a laborer went out, a farmer went out and, and needed to hire laborers, and so he went out first hour of the day and hired these laborers and agreed for the rest of the day. And then he went in the, out in the third hour and hired some more, and the sixth hour and hired some more, and the ninth hour and hired some more, and finally the eleventh hour and hired some more. There was, they worked 12 hours back then, 12-hour day. And then he paid them, but he paid them in reverse order. Remember that story? Remember that parable? And so, remember the offense of the guys? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're paying this guy that only worked one hour, a denarius a day? I must be going to get a whole lot more. <laughs> and no, they got their denarius. Now, why did the master pay them in reverse order? To make the point, I mean, God is a God of grace and mercy and compassion, and he's God, and you are not, <laughs> and I am not. He's going to offend us. I mean, the thief on the cross next to Jesus, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He was literally dying the last three hours of his life, maybe at most. He received Christ. He got a ticket to heaven. <laughs> He didn't do anything with his life but, but be a criminal. Is that fair? I mean, God's not into fair. God's into being God and being a God of compassion and mercy. And sometimes timing issues particularly are, are offensive. I mean, I, I've got some that I've been pounding the gates on for years. And what's going on here? Why hasn't this happened? Friends, we need to be Maintain a tender heartedness at all times before the Lord. A sensitivity. I had something happen yesterday that was very offensive to me. And I thought, now am I going to let this rob my peace and joy or am I going to suck up and realize that I'm prideful and I'm arrogant and I don't like it because it isn't fair. And thank you, Jesus, that he did convict me and I think I got the right attitude now. But I'm telling you... Um, this idea, uh, number six, of be seeking, waiting, listening, and meditating, and giving our, the Lord a moment to speak and to, to speak right into our circumstance, many times through the Word of God, 
But many times through that still small voice is critical to posturing ourselves to continue to receive that place of blessing, favor, and anointing of God. So enough said. Number seven, this is one that'll bite some of you, but that's okay. Um, Malachi 3, there is this incredible promise and I just want to challenge you with this thought. Now, again, we don't earn our way into the kingdom. We made that point at the beginning, but let me just read this to you. Malachi 3, 8 through 10 says this. Will a man rob God? Are you robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then listen to this verse, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of God, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. You know, once you understand the, the promise of God with respect to tithing, that it brings him onto the scene. When you're tithing to him, then it becomes his a problem, not a problem, but his issue to provide for you. This is Matthew chapter 6 at the end. Remember it talks about Solomon and all of his glory didn't array himself like the birds and the sparrows of the field. And, and you know, if, if you seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to us. But the tithing breeds, brings God on the scene of your life. Um, we learned this when we were absolutely church, poor as church mice, and we, we just were, became regular tithers. And we, we, Denise and I would say this, and this is our, our, our spin on it. God doesn't need your money, but you need to learn how to give. And, and we, we can't afford not to tithe because we have, we have a history, we, we have, a, have experienced the grace and abundance of God represented in that passage right there. As we tithe, I mean, it, it, you can't hold it back. It's just an amazing thing. So, again, I'm, this is not, I'm not being legalistic here. I'm just pointing out what the, what the promise of the Word says, and I'm trying to position myself to receive the blessings, favor, and anointing of God. This is a piece of it. It is a piece of it. No legalism. And God, you need to do it with the right heart, because if you do it with the wrong heart, you're not getting that reward. So... You're not getting, you're not, you know, getting receiving on the end of that, that promise. So God doesn't care about your money, but he cares about you learning to be a giver and truster in him to provide for your needs. It's really all about perspective, isn't it? So um, number 10 our, is our, or number eight, I'm sorry, is our goal. And I only want to read one of these passages. You can read Deuteronomy 28 on your own. But... Um, Deuteronomy 30 is an incredible little passage here. I'm just going to read five verses. Listen to this as we try to summarize all these points together and posture ourselves in this way. This is what it says. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, in that I command you today to love your, the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. So the nation's right on the edge of the Jordan, ready to cross and enter the promised land, and he's talking to them about what's important. 
to walk in the blessing, favor, and anointing of God here. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, then I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call on heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death and blessing and a curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. And then here's the key verse, verse 20. By loving the Lord your God, number one. By obeying his voice, number two. And by holding fast to him, number three. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. So our goal is to be those three things, but there's a concept that I want to conclude with, and it's in Deuteronomy 15, verses 16 and 17. Now, let me just share this with you. Every seven years was like a jubilee year. I mean, jubilee is the 50th year, but it was a year of release or forgiveness. And people would become indentured or be a, become a, a slave of somebody, but on the seventh year, they needed, you needed to release them, set them free from that, that enslavement, that indentureship. But on occasion, the servant who's being set free would say, I don't want to be set free. I've, I've enjoyed this intimate relationship, the way you've provided for me and cared for me, and I've prospered under your mastership or whatever, you know, being a, a slaveholder. I, I don't want to be your slave forever. And you know what they would do? He would take his earlobe and have it driven through with an owl and a doorpost, and he became a permanent slave of that master. It's called a bond slave. Friends, listen to me. The safest place to be as we enter these last days is to be a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm, I'm presenting my ear to be driven through by an all. I want to be all yours because I know that's the safest place to be. That's how we position ourselves, really, to receive the blessing, favor, and anointing of God is be all his. Take this relationship, this invitation of God into the grace and mercy of, of fellowship with him seriously and say, I'm all in. Yet we don't know what that means, but I'm all in. It's like signing up for the military. The guys that signed up for World War II in the United States, 16 million men went to war. I think it's 400 and... 16,000 didn't come home. They were killed. Another huge number were wounded. But you didn't know what you were signing up for. But friends, we know from the word of God and we know by walking with the Lord that he's a good God. He's a great leader. We can trust him. And my appeal today as we posture ourselves to enter this teaching series is that we become bond slaves of Jesus Christ. It's a very interesting idea. 
Romans 12.1 in the New Testament puts it this way, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves living sacrifices of the king. That, in other words, we're all his, but we're his. And he instructs us and leads us and guides us. So let's conclude. Um, why don't you stand um, and Justin, come on up. and <clears throat> Lord, we want to walk in the blessing and favor and anointing that we see represented in your word, what we understand uh, you want from us. And God, we want to say yes and amen, even though we don't understand what it means necessarily. We don't understand what it's going to cost us. But you said, if anyone wishes to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And Lord, we want to say yes and amen to that, even though, um, again, we don't fully understand. But Lord, we say we trust your good leadership. We see you as a God of, of love, a God of compassion and mercy, and we want to posture ourselves to be on the receiving end of your blessing, of intimate relationship with you. So, Father, we ask you to lead and guide us in this endeavor as we attempt to do this. Sinners though we be, Lord, we're so thankful for your grace and your mercy. Trust you, Lord. That's right. Lord, we trust you. We trust your good leadership. And Lord, we say yes and amen to the call of your lordship over our lives. Lord, take us deep now, deep into, the, into your heart. And we thank you for it, Lord. Lord, we just want to just be still for just a moment and let your Holy Spirit speak to us about these, these six or seven areas that we've discussed today. Lord, if you have something you want to say, we just want to receive it. So let's just wait on the Lord for just a minute and then we'll conclude. <clears throat>
Thank you, Lord, for your love, your grace and mercy. It's new and fresh every day, and we thank you for it, Lord, and we receive it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer over here. If you have a prayer need, don't leave. We'll have a prayer ministry.